Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. They say that you never forget your first U2 concert. <laughs> it was 2005 during the Vertigo tour, which was for the album How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, that Tracy and I loaded up in the car and drove the 40 minutes into downtown Chicago to enter into the United Center where 20,000 people flooded in to listen to one of the greatest bands of all time. It's not even arguably. It is one of the greatest bands of all time. Now, granted, this was the Vertigo tour, and, you know, eh, Vertigo, eh, he can't count in Spanish, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's still one of the greatest bands of all time. I was enraptured for the entirety of the first set. And by first set, I mean they played 17 songs, finishing out that first set with one, which is just a great way to end a concert. But U2 doesn't just end after the first set. They require an encore. And of course, after they left the stage, everybody roared into this frenetic frenzy of cheering and screaming. And I don't know, it probably took two minutes they ran down, Bono went to the bathroom, they grabbed a glass of water, and they stepped back up on stage, and then again started the second set from the Zuropa album. 
the album that should never have happened. Anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, they started with that, but they finished that set with Mysterious Ways. The encore was only three songs long. They finished with Mysterious Ways. What another wonderful way to end your first U2 concert. But of course, that wasn't it, because this is U2, and two encores are required. In fact, they just planned this out. So here they are, about to enter into their 21st song of the night, and all of a sudden, everybody is just screaming and screaming, and they come back out, and they begin again with another amazing set. But it was the second song of the set that really sealed the deal for me. It, it, and, and by seal the deal, I mean it was the moment that I knew that I was never going to forget my first U2 concert. They began in this triad acoustic kind of set where they, U2 had like this circular stage at the time. This was before the 360 concert, which was also amazing. <laughs> They got up to the front, and there's Bono, and there's Larry Mullen playing with like a little, like, like tiny little synthesizer. I don't know anything about what that is, but he was playing this like tiny little synthesizer. And then there's the edge over on the side, and, and Adam Clayton was like just hanging out like way over there. I don't know what he was doing. But anyhow, it was this amazing triad of musical acousticness that began to ring out as they sang Yahweh. And not only were they singing Yahweh, but the lyrics of the song really captured my heart. Take these hands, teach them what to carry. Take these hands, don't make a fist. Take this mouth, so quick to criticize. Take this mouth, give it a kiss. And in the midst of this, it wasn't just Bono that was singing, but he began to back away from the mic. And you could hear the entirety of the 20,000 people begin to sing along as together they hit the chorus. 20,000 people singing Yahweh, crying out this prayer to God, singing Yahweh, the dawn is coming, Yahweh, over and over and over. And then he finished. Take this heart, take this heart, take this heart and let it break. 20,000 people singing along to that. Couldn't believe it. I was just floored. But of course they weren't done because there's three songs and a U2 encore and they finished with this. They finished with 40. Patiently follow along, incline and have my cry. Lift me Psalm up chapter 40. Now, what's amazing about this footage? is this is the exact concert that I was at. This was, at the end of the concert, Bono said, hey, we're recording this. I was like, what? No, this is the concert. I couldn't believe it. Everything about this was absolutely remarkable as they sang Psalm chapter 40. 
as it came off of an album that they, they wrote in literally 10 minutes. They wrote this song in 10 minutes. They laid down the track in 10 minutes. It's an unbelievable story that, that Bono has recounted a couple of times, and it took them 40 minutes to write this song total. Like from like writing it, producing it, laying the tracks, and getting it on the album. 40 minutes. And he said it's not called 40 because of that. <laughs> it's called 40 because it comes from Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. And in the midst of it, in the midst of this moment, you hear 20,000 people begin to sing along in the midst of this. 20,000 people singing along to the scripture, Psalm chapter 40. How long to sing this song? I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the mire and clay. He was there. In the midst of it all, how long, how long do I have to sing this song? What's so beautiful about that is that moment of patience. The moment of patience. Patience and waiting for God to respond. For waiting to God to be there in that place. Patience. Here in this moment, Bono stepped away from the microphone. And as they closed out this song, they closed it out like they hadn't done for 15 years. They used to close out every single concert this way. From 1983 to 2005, they closed out every, or, uh, until uh, 1990, 83 to 1990, they closed out every single concert that way. And it wasn't until these sets of concerts, this tour, that they brought back 40. Can you hear him? Can you hear the crowd? Adam Clayton walks off the stage. You can hear him. How long to sing this song? the edge who picked up the bass for this song like you've done for so long soaks it even over the cheers of the people Whether they realize it or not, whether they recognize it or not, 20,000 people in the midst of it singing and crying out, how long to sing this song? It's the exact same turn of phrase that Martin Luther King Jr. used 
after the end of the march to Sel- uh, from Selma to Montgomery, as he stood on the steps of the Capitol in Montgomery, after the bus boycott, after this long march, he said, how long? Not long. How long? Not long. He continued that refrain for two minutes within the midst of this amazing speech that brought people to their feet, that inspired them with what God was doing in their midst all around them. How long? Not long. How long? Hope is on the horizon. Hope is just out there in front of us, waiting for us to see it, waiting for us to walk closer and closer to it, to embrace that hope that sits in wait. Hope is on the horizon. The weight of the world that we live in, the weight of the moment that we experience now in this world is heavy. It presses down upon our shoulders. It pushes us into the mud. It pushes us into the mire. It pushes us into the clay. And we cry out and we sing out, How long? How long? I am waiting here in this place patiently. I am waiting patiently. Where is God? Has he turned to hear my cry? The pain that we carry, the trauma that we carry, the suffering that we carry, the uncertainty that we carry that sits heavy upon our shoulders, the heartache and the loneliness that press down upon us, that pushes us into that muck in that mire. Where are you, God? Have you just forgotten about me again? Have you forgotten who I am, that I am supposed to be your child, that you are supposed to care for me in the midst of this? Have you forgotten about me, God? I wonder. I wonder if that's the same thing that the paralytic man in Mark chapter 2 wondered. As he sat every single day in the town of Capernaum, as he sat there waiting and wondering if God was going to care for him in his state, a man who could not walk, we we don't know why, perhaps he had an injury at work, perhaps he fell off of a roof and cracked his back. Perhaps he was riding on a donkey and somehow slipped and fell and got trampled in the midst of it. The donkey freaked out. Perhaps he was caring for some livestock and got kicked. Maybe he was born paralyzed. But in the midst of it, he sat day in and day out begging for food, begging for money, begging for the community that was around him to care for him, waiting patiently that they would in turn do something for him that would lift him out of the muck and the mire. 
I wonder if he sat there and wondered if God had forgotten him because at the very beginning of Mark chapter 2, it says that Jesus again entered Capernaum. Which makes me wonder, perhaps Jesus had walked by this man multiple times. And perhaps he had never quite seen him sitting there. Perhaps Jesus, in that moment, had become desensitized to some of the hurting that was around him because his focus was somewhere else. His focus was on the crowd as they carried him and as they pushed him and they shoved him and they tried to get him into the synagogue so that he would teach once again. And here's this man on the side of the road. Jesus, has God forgotten me too? Where is God in the midst of my suffering? Where is God in the midst of my turmoil? Where is God in the midst of my uncertainty, my heartache, my loneliness? Sometimes it's really hard to remember that these stories of the men and the women in Scripture aren't just stories. The real people who sat there and waited, that their life had so much more than just the words that were on the page, that there are feelings and hurts and traumas that are there in their lives as well. Has God forgotten me again? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like that man? Have you ever felt as if God had just crossed right by and hadn't paid any attention to you in that place? The story of this man gets really fascinating because it says that some men came and picked him up, four of which grabbed his rug the mat that he was sitting on. And they picked him up and they carried him. What's fascinating about this is oftentimes you think that it's just four people. That it's just four people that did this. But, but the way in which the, the story is laid out is that there were some men. Like there was a group of guys and four of them, in the midst of this group of people, this community of friends, four of them grabbed the corners of the mat and picked him up. Now, I don't know what that conversation looked like. If they just came up and said, all right, bro, you're with us. Here we go. And he's like, what are you doing? Hey, hey, hey. Well, uh, because you have to wonder, maybe that's happened to him before. Where people had picked him up and carried him and tossed him somewhere else. Maybe they had said, get out of here. You do not belong in this place. This is not for you. We're going to take you where you do belong, in the back alley. And then we're going to teach you a lesson. Never come out again. You have to wonder what sort of experiences this man had as he sat there. Some men came and four of them picked him up and began to walk him to where Jesus was. They took him to this house and as they, as they arrived at the house, they noticed that this house was actually overflowing with people. You couldn't fit any more people in. In fact, there were so many people that they were sitting on the outside of the house. They were standing out there just trying to hear, just trying to listen to what was being said. And I wonder if this was the original like crowd megaphone, right? Have you ever been to those giant rallies where there's no sound system? 
And you, you have no idea what the person on the stage is saying, but they begin to cascade the words back. They repeat back and back so that everybody in the back back can hear what's going on. I kind of wonder if this is what's happening around that house is there's this megaphone cascading voices coming back so that everyone can hear exactly what it is that Jesus is saying. And as these some men and these four arrive, you kind of wonder, maybe they thought that he would be an entry into the house. That maybe, maybe their motives weren't actually altruistic, but they thought, hey, if we bring in this guy, the seas will part, we'll be able to walk right into the front, set him in front of Jesus and be like, hey, now we get to hear the whole thing. We didn't even have to buy a ticket. It's great. You kind of wonder if they, they had an ulterior motive to picking up this man and carrying him in, but they couldn't get in. People weren't falling for it. They were like, get out of here. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He didn't get to come in. No, 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 no. That's too much work. We're not moving. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. So some men climbed to the roof and they began to dig a hole, a big hole. Not just a tiny little hole, but a hole the size of the mat. Now, if I own that house, I'm a little perturbed. I'm probably sitting at the front, and all of a sudden I'm feeling dirt fall on my head. I'm feeling like drywall and spackling fall all over the place. I'm like, what is going on up there? And all of a sudden, you see a little hole break through, little fingers, as you begin to dig and dig and dig, and you can just see like, all of a sudden, daylight is beginning to break through as the ceiling is coming apart. A giant rectangle is being formed, and you see these faces looking down. That's weird, right? Do you think it interrupted Jesus? Do you think he stopped? I mean, if I'm that person, if I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm doing what Jesus is doing, I'm looking up being like, hey, let's watch this. Because this is interesting. I don't know what is going on up there, but I want to know. I'm really curious. They lower him down in front of Jesus. And here's the thing. This is what's so crazy to me. The thing that I just do not understand or get in any way, shape, or form. Jesus looks at him. Jesus says when Jesus saw their faith, the people on the roof, some men, the four who carried him the distance to get to this house. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. That's bonkers to me, because that goes against everything that I'd ever heard, everything I'd ever learned, everything I'd ever been taught about how forgiveness of sins works. And the forgiveness of sins is based upon your own repentance, your own understanding of, yeah, I, I've messed up, I've screwed up, I have sin in my life, and I am sorry, I have faith in you, God, that you will cleanse me, that you will restore me, that you will forgive my sins. But here in the moment, it has nothing to do with the paralyzed man's faith. It had everything to do with their faith. Up in the nosebleeds, in the backpack, the people up top had everything to do with their faith. 
this. This is the power. This is the importance of community. This is the power and importance of what it means to never walk alone. Of looking out for others. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the muck and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten me. I just wonder if he's waiting on us to come around one another. If God is waiting on us to pick up one another, to grab the corners of the mat, to be some people who pick one another up and carry them to Jesus. Too many people see church as an event rather than a community of people who are in this thing together. Too many people see church as an event that, that, that will never, ever, 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 ever meet their expectations. And all of the expectations that we build about what this thing will be fall flat because it's just an event that we attend on Sundays. U2, the U2 concert was a beautiful and notable event for me. But it didn't change anything about my life. It just gave me a really cool experience. The things that Bono and The Edge and Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. led me into in that space was not relationship. It was an experience. And that was it. Fortunately, it didn't fall flat. Fortunately, it was unbelievably amazing. It was beautiful. It's always been in the church with people in relationship and community that have lifted me out of the mire and the clay. It has always been the relationships of people in this space and in this place that continue out beyond these walls that has lifted me up in the depths of despair that has pulled me out of that and ushered me into a new place and into a new space. It's not an event. Community requires hard work. It requires hard work of stepping into relationship over and over and over and over again, of continually being with one another over and over and over again, no matter what it looks like, no matter how hard it is. It's a commitment to one another. It's a commitment that says, I am with you. You will never walk alone. You see, God has not forgotten you. That's why he has given us the church. God has not forgotten you. 
That's why He has given us the church. That's why He has given us this community of people, this place that we inhabit. He has given us this. And He's just waiting for us to respond to each other. He's waiting for us to respond in love and grace, in mercy and peace and caring, of picking one another up and bringing each other in. No matter how hard it is, no matter how many nails you break digging through the roof to get your friend, to get your compatriot, to get your companion closer to Jesus, it requires a dogged commitment, a dogged determination to dig and dig and dig and dig. This church was given to us for the sake of others. That we would walk along the road and see the people that need to be brought to Him. And that we would be the ones that say, I have faith. Where you do not, where your faith is faltering, where it is falling... That's where you are, and that's okay, and I'm going to carry you into that place. I'm going to walk you in. Maybe it'll be a little bit easier. Maybe the crowds will part. Maybe we won't have to do as much digging. But no matter what, I'm with you. I will be there over and over and over again. How long to sing this song? Not long. If together, if together, if together we walk this road, if together we bind ourselves in love and in community, how long? Not long. Because hope is on the horizon. And we're almost there. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Father, thank you for gathering us together in this space, of utilizing this place where community can be birthed, where community can begin to form, a place where relationship and connection begin but does not end a place where relationship and connection begin and are fostered in such a way that beyond these walls, beyond this space, a togetherness of love and goodness can be found and can be had. Father, this morning, as a community, as we continue to commit to one another over and over, you'll never walk alone. Father, may you guide us and direct us in these ways. It is in your Son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.